Well, praise the Lord. Great, great to have you today. Gospel of John is where we're going this morning. John chapter 16. And uh, my wife sends her greetings. Linnell is in uh, Rogers, Arkansas, preaching with uh, 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 Pastor Steve Sexton. She didn't have much persuasion, need much persuasion to go because uh, her grandbaby is about to be born and that's where they live. But uh, it, it, this is kind of funny. Linnell travels a bit and she was gone not too long ago and uh, someone came up to me and they said, where's your wife? And I could tell they were thinking that, uh, preacher, is something wrong with your marriage? And I said, no, 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 she was preaching somewhere. And they, I know she looked at my finger and uh, I didn't have my wedding ring on. And, and she didn't know this, but uh, during turkey season, I stepped in a hole, and I twisted my ankle, and I jammed my finger, and I can't get my ring back on. But let me assure you, the preacher's still married, and his wife's coming home, and, and, and she does love him. Um, maybe a week or two for our grandbaby. Okay, let's begin. Uncharted is the series we're doing. Uncharted, our God for navigating life. Now, the word uncharted is not a biblical word, but it's a biblical concept. Uncharted means not recorded or plotted on a map. And if you can imagine the early explorers in America when, they were, when they, their ships landed on shore or perhaps they crossed the Mississippi River and no one knew what was out there, it was uncharted territory. Uh, but it implies exploring the unknown. And I want to suggest to you that for all of us, our future is unknown. Even if you're saying, well, this afternoon I'm going to go work in my garden or tomorrow I'm going to go to work. I mean, no, we don't know that for certainty. And there's a sense of it being unknown to us, but how many know our future is known to God? God knows exactly what the future holds. And God has a desire to bring us into his perfect place for the future. God has a desire to let us become the person and accomplish those things that he's called us to do from the day he created us. And our text for this series is John 16, verse 13. Jesus Christ said, When the Spirit of truth comes, now this is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will, say this, guide you into all truth. And this idea of God, we're going to develop it further, but that's the gist of this series. If I want to have a better life, if I want to have God's plan for my life, I've got to become more acquainted with the person of the Holy Spirit who guides me uh, into God's future. And that's what I want to do. I want to, in this series, help you understand who the Holy Spirit is and how His presence in your life it can become more real, how you can sense His guidance in your life, His direction, helping you make better uh, decisions. Because as we're going to see, one way He's described is as our helper. And how many know everybody needs a helper? Uh, my wife loves to travel. I let her go. But can I tell you what? I notice when she's gone. My life just works better when I've got the helper at home. Are, are you with me today? Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, uh, helpless, but I do better when my helper is around. And uh, how many know it's the same thing for the Christian? Well, this is what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about uh, uncharted waters, but we want to talk about the helper, which is the Holy Spirit as our guide. Now, we'll look in John's Gospel, John 16, and Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do four things. He said he would convict us, he would guide us, he would reveal to us things that we don't know, and he somehow would be in us, the very presence of God. So let's begin John 16. I asked the question, who is the helper? And let's see what Jesus said. Jesus said, now I am going to him who sent me. Anyone know who that is? It's our Heavenly Father. 
Jesus is saying, after my mission on earth is done, after I've given my life for the sins of the world, I'm going back to my heavenly Father. And none of you ask where you're going, but because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. And they were understandably sad. Many of these people he'd taken from a course of life to perhaps they didn't have much of a future. Uh, They didn't have a great meaning to their life. Uh, They had seen miracles. They had seen blind eyes open. They'd seen the dead raised back to life. They had heard a message of hope in the midst of Roman oppression. So when Jesus said, I'm going, naturally, it was going to be a sad thing. But how many know Jesus was only one, as it were, on this earth, and he could only be in one place at a time? But he said this amazing thing to them. He said, I'm going, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. In other words, it's going to be better for you if I go away, because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a ghost. He's not some force. He he, he is perhaps described by some as the wind. You see its activity, but you can't capture the wind. You can't control it. Um, Now, this verse, if you look at it in another translation, the Amplified translation, as we look at this word helper, who the Holy Spirit is, It's the Greek word parakletos, uh, the Amplified Translation, which is basically an English translation, but it it expounds on some of the Greek terms. It gives greater in-depth meaning that our English language doesn't afford. But in the Amplified Translation, it calls the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Now, how many know when you're troubled in life, if there's been a death in your family, how many know you need comfort? You need, and guess what happens? The presence of God draws near. I have been to countless Christian funerals. And how many know a Christian funeral is different than funerals that are in the world that don't believe in God? At a Christian funeral, there's tears, but we say something like this, I'll see you later. A funeral is not a goodbye for the believer. But in the midst of that sadness, having been married to a husband, I heard this week Dorothy and Jim Ware, members of our church, have been married 64 years. That's a long time. Well, if one of them precede the other in death, there's going to be sadness. But guess what? The comforter, the reality of God's presence comes near. He's called the counselor. And this aspect means that the Lord will show you what to do. Now, how many of get we're in a, a, a decision point in life? Maybe which class am I going to attend? Uh, what's my career choice going to be? Uh, how do I talk to my boss about this difficult time? Well, how many know if you go to the place of prayer, somehow the Holy Spirit is able to help shape that conversation as our counselor? He's our helper. Another word describes him. He's our advocate, a defense attorney against Satan, against sin's barrage. Uh, He's an intercessor, a strengthener. When you're weak and you come to, for example, if you come to the altar for prayer and you just say, hey, look, I'm struggling. I've been a little melancholy. I just am having a hard time in life. Would you pray for me? Well, guess what happens? When you leave, over the course of the next few moments or minutes or hours or days, you begin to feel stronger again. Guess what happened? The strengthener has come alongside you. Uh, Lastly, I like this one, the standby. It means to be present and ready to act. And how many know the Bible says our God is indeed an ever-present help in time of trouble? Well, Jesus went on to say, If I go away, I'll send him to you, and notice this phrase, to be in close fellowship with you. Now, this is a concept we're going to develop as we go in this series. 
Because it's my hope that you won't just hear Christian theology and facts, that you won't just hear words relegated to the, to the Old Testament or the New Testament, but you'll begin to have an awareness that I could have this relationship with God. I could have this type of relationship with the Holy Spirit because God wants close fellowship with me. And I'm describing something that's not weird, not mystical. You don't have to go in a trance to connect to God, and you don't have to take psychedelic drugs. Can I tell you, God, by His Holy Spirit, wants to become more real to you today than He's ever been. He wants to be more real tomorrow than He is today. So it's not just an obligation or duty, but you have a real relationship with God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. You see, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, you remember when Jesus came to the earth, one of his names was Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Well, guess what? Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do that very thing, that he would come to us. John 14, 7 says, This Spirit of truth dwells with you, and he shall be in you. Now, just a little more foundation. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, it's a difficult concept for me to grasp, but the Bible teaches that there is one God. Jesus even quoted that, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, one God, but he reveals himself in three persons. My brain can't get around that. How does three equal one? But I just choose to accept it. Perhaps as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in this passage, Jesus said, you remember we read it, I'm going back to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit, when Jesus was baptized in water, he's baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven, the Father said, This is my beloved Son. So the Holy Spirit is not just a ghost in it or a thing, but he's the real presence of God on the earth. The best way I could describe it is the chemical equation for what we know as water, H2O. I mean, you know, water can be revealed to us in three forms it can be a solid, a liquid, or a gas. A solid is an ice cube, a liquid you drink, or a gas that comes as steam, depending on the temperature variable. So the Holy Spirit is somewhat like that. Now, let's go in John's Gospel. And again, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts and other places. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said this morning from John's Gospel, John 16, as we look in verse 8 and following. And I'm going to give you four things. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is convict us. The second thing you'll see is He guides us. He reveals things that are unknown. And lastly, He is with us as, as the presence of God on earth. Uh, verse 8, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Let's read the passage. Jesus said, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. The world is not the created order, but it's people. He'll convict people that don't know Him, that don't know the Savior because they don't believe in Him. He'll convict them concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. Now, how many know it was the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven that validated the message of Jesus? Jesus could have had great teaching, but how many know if he stayed dead when he said he was going to be alive, how many know not one to follow? But this underscores he is the righteous one. And lastly, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, Satan and his dominion is judged. Now, a German translation of this says... He will show that men on earth have wrong ideas about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's my understatement of the morning, that men have wrong ideas about sin. Now, how many know we live in a world today that things that come out of Hollywood are directly opposed to the Bible? How many know the world today, you don't hear them talk about sin. 
uh, uh, righteousness is couched in, in, uh, around truth, they'll say there is no such thing as absolute truth for everyone. Judgment, the world will tell you there is no place called hell. There are no rewards. When you die, it's over. Well, these are all things that the Holy Spirit wants to convince men that they are true. And it's not just through reading subjects and verbs in the Bible. Somehow it is the presence of God revealing this to us. I'll tell you this, friends. I was not looking for God when, when I, I'll say this, I found Him. Let me read a little bit further. The word convict means to present facts. It's a legal term. To convince men of, and women of their sin and of truth. We understand it as conviction, which means we feel remorse for our sin. Likely, you as I have done something wrong, and when you did it, you felt really bad. Now, we have a conscience, but I'm talking about something that's in addition to, can amplify our conscience. Can I tell you, that's a good feeling. Because that feeling turns you towards right, and it turns you towards God. But uh, He's going to convict us of sin. The Spirit works in the mind of the unsaved, or those that don't know God. He, he, wants to, he reminds them that God exists. And that he's a righteous God. Uh, you may be a hunter and you may say, well, I have, you know, don't really get anything out of church. And all of your life you've gone hunting on the weekend, but yet you're sitting out one in the duck blind one Sunday morning. And uh, I, I couldn't go because you didn't ask me. And it's Sunday, by the way. <laughs> but the sun's coming up. And this beauty captures your heart. You're an avid hunter, but the colors of orange, you see the thunderstorm disappearing, you see the birds beginning to fly, and this sense of awe overwhelms you. And something just says, there must be a God. This is how the Holy Spirit works. It's called natural theology. But He convicts us of our sin. And He warns us that sin has judgment, it has consequences. I know when I came to Christ, I, I, I went to church as a boy, thank God for that. I was a pretty good person, but how many know being pretty good won't get you to heaven? But it, it, the older I got, the, if the cross represents Jesus, the, the older I got, the longer I walked away from the Lord until I was in trouble and a blue light was shining and I would say, help, or until I had drank too much and couldn't get home and said, help. But other than that, I was just going this way. But all of a sudden, I was about 19, that season of my life, too old to play organized sports, working for my dad, driving the tractor. We were farmers, and I'd drive the tractor, and as a 19-year-old, I would just begin to weep. Now, this is odd. I had a new car. I was, dry, I was dating the head majorette, the head cheerleader, and everything looked great outwardly. But inside, I was realizing the emptiness of my life. What is that? That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit showing us our need for God. And can I tell you, friend, you can either reject conviction... Or embrace it. You can either say no to when God is drawing you and calling you. You may be here today. And you may be here and honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't know if I died today or if I'd go to heaven or hell. But yet at the end of the service, but right now you're feeling this drawing towards God. And at the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ. Not to join our church, per se, but to make a step to receive Jesus as your Savior and say yes to God's conviction and righteousness. But you have a choice. You can be afraid of people, wonder what people will think, or you can say, I don't care what they think. <laughs> I'm making my way to God. Come on, somebody say, that's the right thing to do. Now, conviction, though, doesn't stop at salvation. In Ephesians chapter 4, he, Paul speaks to the believer, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
It means don't offend him, don't vex him, don't sadden him. Now, if you're married, how many know you can quickly sadden your spouse? Let's say, uh, let's say uh, my, my wife, she's a better cook than I. She likes to cook. Uh, her, her gift, her temperament is to serve. My gift is liking to be served. So we get along real great there. <laughs> just, just kind of teasing, sort of. But, but, but she is a way better person than me. But let's just say she, she wants to try to do something special. She knows kind of food I like. So she, she gets home, and as soon as she gets off a long day of work, she cooks this great meal, and I go in and eat it, and I don't even say thank you. And then the next morning, she doubles down and says, okay, I'm going to get up early, and I know he likes those turkey legs, and, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to get some and defrost them, and I'm going to marinate them all day long. And when he comes home, and I don't even get home until 9 o'clock, and I don't even bother to tell her. I mean, no, something in her is dying all the time. Sadness. I'm offending her. I'm vexing her. Well, the Bible says we can do the same thing to the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit would call us into, into some action, Perhaps it's a, you, you may be at school, you may be a student, and, and somebody's being bullied at school, and, and, and they're not cool, and yet you feel the Lord prompting you to go and befriend that person and be kind to them, but you say no because of peer pressure, no because of whatever people may say. Are, are you with me today? And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how many know that's not what we want to do? We want to walk with Him, because if you grieve Him, you'll silence His voice, you'll harden your heart. And your whole Christian experience will just be a cerebral experience where all you know is discipline and routine and you've lost the intimacy of relationship. We'll talk more about that. But let me give you the second thing Jesus said. The Holy Spirit would guide us. Now again, this is the heart of this series, guidance into, into uncharted future. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you and you can't bear them now. But when the, say it with me, Spirit of truth comes. Now, we're talking about guidance. He will guide you into all truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak. Now, I want you to think about this. One translation says, the Spirit will show you what is true about God. Uh, the Spirit speaks the true words of God. So let's look at two aspects of this. Firstly, about how the Holy Spirit reveals biblical truth. And secondly, about guidance. But when we talk about truth... The first thing this passage would tell us is that truth exists. You live in a world today, if you're educated in America, secular education, they tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth. That there's no such thing as truth that applies to different cultures at different times to different people. Well, the Bible's quite opposite of that. The Bible says truth does exist. It's not determined by the majority of the professional, but truth is determined by God. Uh, Jesus said in John 17... He said, your word, the word of God, is truth. That's why when we talk about the Bible, we call it the word of God. The Bible says of itself in, in 2 Timothy, it says all scripture is what? Inspired by God. In other words, God caused men to write this book. And you could follow the process of canonization, and it's an amazing one. But God, Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong. And this is the first thing the Holy Spirit does, particularly when it comes to moral issues, when we're trying to figure out culture is, culture is, on, is if I can say this way, hell, culture is hell-bent on destroying traditional marriage, traditional gender identity. All these things are rooted in the Bible, what's right and what's wrong. Come on now. And I don't have the right just to say, 
I'm changing who God made me to be. And if I do, culture fights back real hard. But the Holy Spirit, friend, wants to guide us into truth. The starting place, if you're taking a science class or a science major, the starting place for you and I is not the first chapter of your book. Because the first chapter of your book is, does not begin with God. Genesis 1.1 is the starting place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then I try to go and pick up on this superstructure of knowledge that's defies, or that defines creation apart from God. But then the Holy Spirit will help me be drawn back to the beginning. God is the creator. And I want to read the books by men who are, who, who are experts in this field of cosmology and other things, but are dedicated Christians as well. See, you, in, in public school, you're not even aware that educated Christians with PhDs in astrophysics or molecular biology, you're not even aware they exist today. Public education doesn't even make place for an intelligent designer because they would rather stick to the theory of evolution because evolution says there is no God and if there is no God then there's no moral absolutes, Ten Commandments. If there's no commandments I'm not going to have to answer to God on Judgment Day. So all the while the world is fighting against God the Spirit is saying there is truth. I will reveal it to you. I will show it to you and I will guide you in the way you should go. Come on somebody say, say praise the Lord. Now this next one is, is worth the whole price of admission this morning, whatever, the, whatever that was. Uh, the Holy Spirit wants to give us divine guidance. Now, a lot of these themes are going to be developed in the weeks ahead. And again, we've got plenty of space on Saturday night and Sunday first service. Uh, but I want you to think about guidance just a moment, kind of a spiritual GPS. Uh, by guidance, we're talking about the Holy Spirit leading us, directing us into an uncharted future and particularly as we're on mission from God. Now, I want to show you, show you something on the screen right now. Take a peek here at a map. This map is from Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And I'm going to read it to you. It's Paul's missionary journey where he is saved. He's preaching the gospel. And I want you to see some places that don't even exist today or regions that are different in, in, in modern maps. But this is where it was in their day. Now notice, it says, first they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia. Now, the white is the Mediterranean Sea. Italy and Spain are way over there. Here's Jerusalem, where it all started, where Jesus was resurrected from the dead. After the persecution of the church, Peter was the primary voice of the church. It shifted to Antioch. Paul became the primary voice of the Gentile world. And what he's saying is we left Antioch, and you see this right here, you see it where it says Galatia. They left Galatian Phygeria. That's the way we started to go. All right, now I want you to see where the story gets interesting. Now that they're going to preach the gospel, but verse 7, uh, 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 the next verse, I'm sorry, it says they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. How did that happen, Pastor? I don't know. Somehow God was communicating to them not to go there. When we had come up to Messiah, right there, we attempted to go to Bithynia. Now, now they're, going, they're doing good things. They're helping the poor. They're preaching the gospel. They're starting churches. Well, how many know you would think there needs to be a church in Bithynia? But the Holy Spirit said this. Uh, the Spirit of Jesus, I'm sorry, did not allow them. Now, this is the Holy Spirit. So we're trying to do what God says, to go to here to here, and the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you going there. They said, okay. They passed by Mycenae, right there, 
and they stopped at a place called Troas. And then it goes on to say this. Uh, in a vision, this is the way God communicates, and this doesn't mean you have to go call 1-900 for the psychic, okay? But, but God can speak in a vision. Though it's mystical and subjective, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong. It could be, but not, not automatically. And sometimes we're so fearful of this supernatural aspect of the Christian faith because it is subjective and because we have seen wrong and error in the midst of it, we just throw the whole baby away with the bathwater. Bad, bad choice. In his vision appears to Paul, a man of Macedonia standing there. Here's Macedonia. There's a man standing there, and this man's saying, come over and help us. And immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, you say, well, what's the significance of that? There's Macedonia. Well, guess what's right here? Italy. And how many of the gospel is going to go to Rome? There's going to be a book of Romans. Guess what's over here? Spain. So all of Europe. Now, this defining moment right here, if the Holy Spirit, if they had gone this way, they'd have taken the gospel to India. It's largely Hindu today, but for whatever reason, God wanted the gospel to go west. And as it goes west... Europe begins to be saturated with the gospel. The, 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 the Protestant Reformation happens in Europe. But over here in Spain, guess what? We have missionaries that go to the New World, America, whether it's Columbus, who's getting a bad rap in society today. They're wanting to tear his statue down too. But my friend, I have a copy of Columbus's, a, a partial copy of Columbus's journals. And in his journals, he says things like this. I sense the Spirit sending me. He talks about Jesus. He talks about God. He was not this worthless white man just wanting money that you read about. He was not perfect now, but I'm telling you, he was on a mission from God. So whether it was his going, whether it was the pilgrims that were going for religious freedom, or whether it was earlier than that, the, uh, uh, the, from Spain having missionaries that went from Central America, and they went up through Texas bringing the gospel, building some of these very old churches that you see throughout Mexico and throughout uh, uh, the southern part of our country. How many know this is how the gospel got there? And it's all because of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, friend, let's imagine just a moment if the Holy Spirit would guide us like that today. Imagine how different our lives might be and how different America might be because how many know God knows in advance the uncharted and He wants to guide us into a place where we can do some great things for the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, that's supernatural but the Holy Spirit also speaks to us with peace. It's called the inner voice or witness. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace from Christ rule in your heart or act as an umpire. I mean, an umpire calls balls and strikes, which is a way of saying yes and no to the pitcher, the catcher, and the batter. But the Holy Spirit will oftentimes, most often, when you're ready to make a decision, not just give you a vision, but he'll speak to you, come on now, and that still small voice. And if you have been following God, you can trust that because, listen, the Holy Spirit somehow inside us is guiding us to make the right decision in a place of peace. I never make a big decision in my, in my life if my wife and I are not in agreement, and I never make a big decision until I hear peace that comes from the Lord. Come on, somebody give the Lord another praise. Let me give you one more. The Holy Spirit reveals the unknown. 
Now, this is a little different than guidance. But Jesus said in verse 13, He, the Spirit, would declare to you things that are to come. God somehow peers into the future and reveals this. Luke 2.26, when Jesus was a young child, Simeon had been, what's it say? Told by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many think that's possible today? Sure it is. Told by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he saw the Christ, or Jesus, promised by the Lord. In other words, he wouldn't die before baby Jesus came. He had no clue of that. We're going to develop more uh, thoroughly in the future of the book of Acts. But Acts chapter 10, Peter has had this vision of this sheet coming from heaven. He didn't know what it means, but he's standing there pondering. And what's it say in 1019? The Spirit said to him, three men are looking for you. Rise and go with them. Now, the end of the story is God's about to move the Christian message, not just to Jews, but to the entire world and Gentile people. But there were things happening that Peter had no idea. Three men down there, he didn't know if they were good guys or bad guys. Walkie-talkies didn't give him his answer. How many know the Holy Spirit wants to reveal? So let me give you something real simple. I'll develop this more in the future, but how do I receive supernatural revelation like this? How do I, is there something I can do, preacher? Let me read you a scripture that gives an insight or two. 1 Thessalonians 5, it's kind of couched in a number of, of different exhortations. But he says, don't hold back or don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Which means you can just say no to the whole supernatural aspect. Then he says, don't treat prophecy, this gift of prophecy, as it's unimportant. But verse 21, he says, test everything and keep what's good. In other words, when it's coming to guidance and someone gives you a prophecy or whatever, don't just assume that it's the Lord. You test it because it could well be something that's beneficial in your spiritual life. So back to how to receive this supernatural revelation. It's, maybe it's as simple as this. Number one, believe that God still reveals. Because many of us were raised in a denomination that taught us the supernatural aspects of the Bible stopped when the apostles died or when the Bible was brought together and canonized. Well, what if that's not true? What if Jesus indeed is the same yesterday, today, and forever? What if indeed the pattern he set up with 12 disciples, 70, then the whole early church, then through the pages of the church, what if that pattern is intended to go through history and the Holy Spirit is intended? Well, it starts with me believing God still reveals Another one that is equally as huge is this, friends. Don't reject the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I can tell him no. I can tell him I don't want to go. We'll probably look at this passage in Acts. But it's a man named Ananias, an ordinary guy just like you and I. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he said, I want you to go talk to this man named Saul. He's blinded and he's praying. And in this conversation, Ananias knows the voice of the Lord. Ananias said, hey, look, uh, I, this guy's been killing people, and he throws people in jail. I don't know about this now. Jesus, in this vision, says, he's my appointed servant. You go and talk to him, and I'm going to do some big things. You know what Ananias said? Yes, sir. He could have easily said, I'm not going. Get my wife. <laughs> I'm not going. Get somebody else. Because I'm afraid. But he didn't. This is all key now to this supernatural realm. Believe God is a revealer. Don't reject his work. And I just call it be willing to spit out the seeds. How many know when you cut a watermelon? I don't personally, I don't like these seedless watermelons, these hybrids now. 
You, you cut a good watermelon, you hear it pop, you don't throw it away because it's got black things in it. No, you just spit them out. You know, you have seed fights. Well, that's exactly what you do with mystical, mystical or weird or un- things that you don't understand in the whole subjective arena. Don't let the seeds make you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let me close with this last session, section and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray. But the fourth thing Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be is what I'm going to call the abiding presence of God in our life. Now, this is so precious. John 14, again, the words of Jesus. I'm asking the Father. He'll give you another helper, and he's going to be, what's it say? With you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. In other words, people in the world, that say, they'll say, prove God exists. You have tears in your eyes looking at the beauty of the flower. You have tears in your eyes or awe in your face watching a hummingbird. You're amazed, come on now, at how rain causes plants to come back to life and seeds grow. And they're saying all the time, you just prove it to me. Give give me an equation. Show me in the microscope. And the deeper you go, come on now, in the microscope, even the human DNA genome, the deeper you explore it, the more grandeur and glory you see. But people are saying, show me God can't see him through creation. Their eyes are blinded. But Jesus said, uh, this spirit, the world can't receive it. You know him. This is the language of relationship. He dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, we're going to explore this more deeply next week as we talk about the presence of God. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit somehow is in us. Now, here's the problem. I cannot go to St. Michael's and say, "I I I want a spiritectomy. You know, when you say, Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my life. Come into my heart. It's not the physical organ pumping blood. It's you. It's your spirit. Not only can you not get a Holy Spiritectomy, you can't get a spiritectomy. When your spirit or your soul, the life force, leaves your body, it doesn't become one with the cosmos. Come on now, with you and Buddha. When your spirit leaves your body, it retains you who you are in your identity, and it goes to be with the Lord as a believer. But somehow the Holy Spirit is connecting with us at that level. You remember John 16 where Jesus said, I'm sending him to be in close fellowship with you. And that's what this whole series is about, is to help you develop this close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. See, this unseen God wants relationship with us. He, 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 he wants to be real to us. Make us aware of his presence, even though we can't see him with our natural eyes. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Be sure of this. Jesus Christ said, I am with you always. Now, how can that be? The Bible teaches us when he ascended, he went where? To the right hand of God the Father. Is making intercession from us until he comes again. How's he going to be with us? Through his Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not divided in a billion parts for a billion Christians. I can't explain to you how he does it. I'm just telling you that Jesus Christ is teaching us that the Holy Spirit wants to be real. He wants relationship with you. It's not weird. It's not mystical. It's normal Christian living. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will do what? Draw near to you. Have you ever found this to work especially well in surgery? 
I had a torn meniscus a few years ago, and I didn't want to go to the doctor, and I finally went. And I went in at 9 for surgery, but I didn't go in the surgery suite till 5. And during that course of that day, uh, they weren't pump pumping me with Xanax. I wish they would have. But, but I, would have, I would have about three different times where I was just getting a little overboard, concerned, and worried. Are, are you with me here? Wanting to run out of that room. But you know what we did? I said, honey, let's turn the TV off a little bit, and let's just turn on some worship music. And I just need to pray a little bit and draw near to God. And you know what happened? That intense anxiety began to leave me. Should it surprise me when Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever present. What does that mean? Ever present means he's near in time of trouble. And this is what our Father wants for us. He doesn't want to get to know us just when we get to heaven. He wants it to start right now. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to continue this next week as we talk about uncharted and the presence of God. As our worship team comes back, let me just encourage you just a second. Don't turn off yet. I mean, I sure hope if you want to get involved somewhere in the church, you'll stop by these tables out here. Uh, I know everybody's got plans for lunch already. But don't go just yet. I want to ask you this question. What is all this, what is this morning meant to you? You know, I read constantly. But most of what I read, I forget. And little of what I read, I actually put into practice. How many know it should be different when we're reading from the Bible? How many know particularly the subject when God wants to be near to me? It should awaken something in me. Let me tell you a little story. Um, I love kids. I love little kids. My wife won't let me have any more, so she tells me I'm old. <laughs> but I remember when kids are little, you know, you're trying to help those kids grow up and be independent. And they're long about three or so. And this is in the days before, you know, before Velcro and, you know, kids don't have to tie their shoes. But, but little, little, little boy, let's say, imagine him three years old and his shoe's untied. And you come up to him and say, Pops wants to, let, let Pops tie your shoe. No, I do it. Let me help you. No, I do it. And he's sitting there and he's fumbling around and, and, and he's got knots going everywhere and they're not working like grandma. And finally he says, Papa, help me. Tie my shoe. Are we a little bit like that little boy? And do we often tell that to God? No, I do it. Now, it's not a deliberate rejection of God. But how many know if it's not a, a, a deliberate embrace of God, we're saying, no, I can do it just fine. I can choose my career. I can pick my spouse. I can pick the town I live in. I can pick the church I want to go to just fine. I can plan for my retirement just fine when we don't even know what tomorrow brings. I don't know about you, but I need a helper. And could we just say that to the Lord right now in these closing moments? Lord, would you be my helper? Come on, close your eyes just a moment. I want you to just talk to your Heavenly Father. Talk to Him about the relationship you want with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I, I need a helper. I'm going to lift my hands right now just as a way of, as a child, saying, God, the Holy Spirit, would you help me? I give you, Lord, the right to convict me. Convict me of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Don't let me live in it. Don't let me walk farther from it. 
Let me walk with you all my days. Convict me. Lord, not only I want you to convict me, but I, I want you to, to guide me. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but more importantly, not just the protection of my life, but, but for what I'm going to do for you. Would you guide me? Would you learn to let me hear your voice? Just like the Holy Spirit when he was telling them to not to go to Bithynia because God had something better. Lord, we want to ask you today that you guide us into truth, that we not be deceived by the world, but we truly know, Lord, the way and the pathway. Lord, we want to ask you today that you would reveal yourself to us. If Jesus Christ told me the Holy Spirit would be with me and in me, I want to know what that means. And I want to know how to be a closer friend. Welcome now. We just want to lay aside all our, all our inhibitions. Whatever it is that's stopping this from happening. God, we just want to bring it to your feet right now because I don't want to be the person that I am. <laughs> I want to be the person that you created me to be. So we just all say this. Say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome. Come take complete control. In Jesus' name. We're going to close with this. We're going to have one last song. But we always have people in the altar to pray after the message because I find that there's usually a voice within my voice. It's the Holy Spirit, and He's speaking to people. And if you need prayer about anything today, we'd be honored to pray with you. It may be something the message kind of stirred up in you, or it may be something totally different. Stay with me now. But if you have a need in your life, if you need God to help you in some way, let us pray with you before you go. Most important thing, though, that we'd like to pray about is your personal relationship with God. Maybe you're here today, and, and, and when I paused earlier in the message and talked about how I was going away from God and, and I was doing my own thing, but how I turned around and started following Christ, how I became a Christian on that day, August 15, 1976, I wonder if you felt like that was speaking directly to you. I wonder if you feel that today is your day to get right with God. I wonder if today you feel like this is my time to put my trust in Christ. Whether you've never done it before or you walk with Christ and God away, it doesn't matter. But if today if you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you to be a follower of Christ, you need God's forgiveness, and you want to put your trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, you want a brand new start with God. If that's you, we want to pray with you. Would you just slip up your hand real quickly? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God today. Anyone that just want, yeah, I see your hand. Give her a hand. God bless you. I see your hand too. God bless you. Anybody else, just wave your hand to me. God bless you too, dear. Okay, somebody else say, pray for me. I, I, I need to get my life right with God today. All right, listen, as our prayer team is coming to the front right now to pray for anything, you that lifted your hands, I want to encourage you to just slip over to the cross with us. Someone will meet you. That's it. Come on down. If you lifted your hands or wanted to or I missed you, but you need to get your life right with God. You want to receive Christ as your Savior. You're not joining the church, but we want to give you something and pray with you and help you. Come on, give them one more big hand. God bless you as you come. Others, give me my life to Christ. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Spirit.